This episode was recorded on March 10th, 2020. Welcome to The Wrap, a Warren Averett podcast for business leaders designed to help you access vital business information and trends when you need it so you can listen, learn, and then get on with your day. Time is tight. That's why our advisors have wrapped up today's most timely topics into a podcast with actionable advice. Now, let's get down to business. John Cox, he is our chief investment officer with uh, Warren Averett Asset Management. We wanted to have a discussion talking about um, the market's response uh, that we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks and, and what to expect kind of going forward. So as we start talking about the potential impact of this COVID-19, this new coronavirus that, that reared its head in 19, John, what are some of those economic impacts that we need to be worried about? Yeah, the economic ramifications are far-reaching given that the virus has spread to over 90 countries. From a dollar standpoint, global economic damage could be as high as $1.5 trillion on a $90 trillion global economy. So this could shave as much as 1% off of global GDP, reducing it to 2% for 2020. China is expected to have 0% growth or even contraction during the first quarter. Looking at the U.S., uh, our country will likely slow to below 2% or maybe even below 1% for the first half of this year. And while recession odds have increased substantially, we still do not see that as the base case uh, scenario for the U.S. On the good news front, the International Monetary Fund has committed about $50 billion to deal with this problem. And in the U.S., the administration has committed over $8 billion dollars. When you look around the world, the U.S. is the best position to get through this with the least amount of damage. Uh, globally, the supply chain disruption is a real issue, as well as decreasing demand that leads to uncertainty. And uncertainty is like a four-letter word to the markets. Uh, more good news is that the worst seems to be over in China after the months of January and February, and things are gradually getting back to normal in terms of manufacturing facilities. So we're looking at about a three-month, four-month incubation period, sorry for the pun, but of it getting of it getting worse and then slowly starting to get better. Are we going to expect to see, from a financial perspective, that same time period? Yeah, I think the uh, if, it, if it plays out the same way in the U.S. as it did in China, it's um, more like a two- to three-month period until it peaks and, and then things start to get uh, improve. So the fact that the U.S. really started dealing with this in, in late February into March means we could be, uh, all, it could be all the way to May before we really feel good about uh, where we are. And trying to create a, a roadmap for what we need to do past that. Right, exactly. So the Feds, the Federal Reserve, they've done something to kind of support the economy can you talk about that for a second? Yeah. So the Federal Reserve uh, recently lowered short-term interest rates by one half of 1%. And it was the first time that the Fed had lowered rates outside of a regularly scheduled meeting. And that's, that's rare. And the last time was, of course, in the financial crisis. So the market sometimes reacts, uh, really doesn't know how to react when, when that kind of news comes out. But one thing the, the Fed did say uh, that I think was very market and, and econ economically friendly is that they would, quote, act as appropriate to sustain the expansion. And that may not sound like much, but that basically indicates that the Fed will do whatever it takes to, uh, to satisfy market participants and to keep the economy growing to the extent that they can do that. Um, 
The next Fed meeting is March 17th and 18th, and the markets are expecting another half a percent rate cut. Could be less than that, could be more, but that's kind of the expectation at, the, at this point. And there are also things that the Fed can do in addition to just interest rate policy. Uh, they can buy assets such as treasuries and mortgages, and that provides liquidity to the, to the markets and lowers rates for uh, consumer financing. And they can also pursue other outside-the-box ideas, which might include the Fed and, and the Treasury Department teaming up to implement a program to provide loan relief or funding to small to mid-sized companies if they get in trouble during this uh, coronavirus uh, environment that we're in. Lastly, um, tariffs on China could be relaxed to promote uh, some global harmony during this um, challenging period. The U.S. consumer has been very strong throughout this uh, most recent rally. I mean, the 10-year market cycle that we've been in, uh, but that strength is going to be tested with with challenges that come come about over the next few months. Uh, one thing to watch for in terms of the global markets is a global coordinated central bank action, which is a which is a long way of saying that the Federal Reserve, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of England, the European Central Bank all get together and form a game plan together as opposed to each country doing their own thing. Um, so that's, uh, if, if things start to get worse, I think you'll definitely see something along those lines. And I guess the Federal Reserve making the statement, we'll do whatever it takes, lowering the rate outside of a normal rate meeting kind of proves that. That does. Um, that can be a uh, something that's comforting to the markets, or it can be something that scares the markets to say, what does the Fed know that we don't know? And why was it so important to do it now as opposed to wait two weeks till their regular scheduled meeting? You started talking about the markets, John. Um, compare this response, this market response to maybe other viruses that have come out in previous years. Yeah, it's interesting to look back over the last two decades. And what you see is every two or three years, we have to deal with some type of health concern. And whether it was SARS back in 2003, and then more closely, uh, you know, more recently, we've had Ebola in 2014, and there's been uh, MERS and Zika and a lot of different viruses. The swine flu was a really deadly one. Um, but most of the viruses have been more, either more deadly uh, or the fat fatality rate has been higher based on the number of instances. Uh, not to say that the coronavirus couldn't get there one day, but right now it appears that it's not going to cause as many deaths. Having said that, it's uh, it still causes the economy to slow down and precautions to be uh, taken. And so when you look back at the market impact of these other viruses, the range of decline has been anywhere from 5% on the lower end to about 15% on the, on the upper end. And the U.S. is is kind of flirting with that upper end of the range of a 15% decline. Um, in terms of the length of, of time that it takes to run its course with the markets, it's been anywhere from two to six months. And right now we're right around that two-month time period. So we could be in for some volatility for at least the next couple of months. Um, the good news is that recoveries from previous market declines caused by viruses tend to be very robust with returns of 9% on average over the next six months, 
and 13% over 12 months. Having said that, past results are not always indicative of future results. Um, and because viruses have been occurring every two to three years, again, this is something that investors and, and economic folks need to get their arms around because this is the, not the last time we'll see something of this, of this nature. It's interesting that the world has responded in the way that it has. And, and all I can relate that to is over the last two or three years, technology has allowed us, has, has allowed the world to shrink. And so we can do a lot more business everywhere. And when that starts getting interrupted, now, now you're going back to, hey, we can only deal with the people in our area or we can only work with that. And, and so we've become so dependent on other countries for certain things, um, but just in doing business. And, and that has to be why this is becoming a bigger issue than maybe the others have in the past. Right. I, I think it's uh, the concern not over, this is just my perspective, but not over the number of incidents that, that might ultimately, whatever that number could be, or the number of fatalities, but how it affects countries that are connected to other countries, whether it's China or Italy's essentially shut down their their country for the foreseeable future to try to contain the virus. And, you know, when, when China was going through the worst part in, in January and February, they were shutting down manufacturing facilities. They were closing Starbucks. I mean, it's, it's the response and it's a justified response, uh, but it causes a little bit of short-term pain. Uh, but in the long run, it's, it's in the best interest of the, the citizens of that country. I, I can agree with that. So, um, industry sectors that get hit hardest um, with something like this is that a is that something y'all are seeing uh, from your perspective? Well, everything is when you have a kind of a meltdown like we've had uh, in the last couple of weeks. Most things go down in value, except fixed income, which is um, more like treasury bonds and corporate bonds and things like that. But just in terms of equity sectors, there are certain ones that behave better than others, um, given this type of decline. So if you think of the travel and leisure industry, it's going to be hit the hardest. So airlines and hotels and casinos, people are canceling vacations, they're rescheduling conferences, they're eating out less. So these that industry in particular has been hit the hardest, but there are also others like the energy sector. Energy prices have plummeted recently with um, a disagreement between Russia and OPEC as to how to, to, to manage the production. And so in addition to that supply component, uh, demand is tapering off because of people not traveling as much. So kind of a double whammy for the energy industry. And then in the financial industry, banks uh, have seen a pretty substantial decline in their market value due to the fact that rates have gotten so low and it's become so, so much more difficult to make money in their interest income portfolios, uh, as well as the fact that loan growth is likely to slow and you could be dealing with defaults if we do get closer to a recession. So those are kind of the three that probably have uh, gone down the most uh, and, and may potentially bounce back the most when things turn around. In terms of the best sectors, um, they're all would be considered defensive sectors and not necessarily economically um, sensitive or dependent. Among those would be utilities, which tend to provide a fairly stable dividend. Uh, consumer staples, things like companies that produce soap and food, those are things that are usually bought regardless of market and economic fears. Um, real estate investment trust, so 
office buildings and apartment buildings and things like that, there's still a steady lease income that comes in to provide that support. Um, as you get closer to a recession, that might not necessarily be the case. And then lastly, um, anything associated with healthcare usually tends to be pretty defensive because people tend to continue um, with those procedures that need to be done regardless of the condition of the economy. Want to receive a monthly newsletter with RAP topics? Head on over to warrenaverett.com forward slash the RAP and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. So I'm sure that um, in your role as part of the investment committee of our asset management group, Y'all have had some conversations around what what investors should do in volatile times like this. What are what are some of those suggestions? Well, this is a really important question, and there is no magic formula here. It's to be patient and stick to a long term plan, and the, resist the urge to do something in the short term that could harm you with your with your long term goals. So things like refraining from being glued to business news on TV and social media, uh, not checking your investment accounts too frequently. These are things that just cause stress, but it may lead you to do something that is not in your in your long-term best interest. Um, past sell-offs have always been followed by recoveries, and the gains can come in an unpredictable manner with a few big up days. So being out of the market on those bounce-back days can be detrimental to long-term goals. Um, you've seen studies where if you missed uh, only 10 days over a 20-year period, your your uh, account value could be half of what it wow. what it would have been. Um, so again, these we never know when these big updates are coming. So it's important to be invested when they do. Uh, there's an organization, a financial research firm called Dalbar, that produces data that shows the average investor tends to substantially underperform the markets in which he or she is invested, and that's primarily due to panic selling. And lastly, it's important to revisit your asset allocation in good times and bad times and to acknowledge that peace of mind can be just as important as maximizing returns. Peace of mind is a, is a good one in a time like this and definitely don't need to take that lightly as it relates to your investments or your plans. So is there any positive about any type of rotation between um, investment types going from maybe stocks to bond market or anything of that nature? Right. With the uh, stock market selling off and investors moving to more conservative investments like cash and, and short-term investments, the result of that has been that interest rates have gone down substantially, more than most people would have predicted in a lifetime. Uh, this impacts mortgage rates. It impacts line of credits, auto loans, credit card loans, and other types of debt. So now is a good time for investors and consumers to reassess their debt and to see if they can get lower rate financing. Uh, also, the drop in energy prices will mean cheaper gas at the pump. So that benefits everybody. So both of these together will increase consumers' discretionary income and spending, and that'll help in these challenging times that we're in. Additionally, lower stock values can benefit those investors who are systematically putting money in the markets on a regular monthly or quarterly basis. An example would be 401k participants. And lastly, those who have bond allocations are generating uh, positive returns in the fixed income part of their portfolio, which is mitigating some of the stock market losses. So taking, taking that sounds to me like it's almost um, 
if you can get lower interest rates, get those lower interest rates, but maybe take some of those dollars that you're saving and, and maybe bounce back to other kinds of savings, right? That would absolutely be a, a good way to look at it. And I, no one knows how long these short-term interest rates are going to be with us. And I don't know anyone who could accurately predict when the bottom in interest rates has been reached. So if you're able to refinance to a uh, 3% 30-year mortgage, don't try to hold out thinking it might go down to 275 or two two and a half. You know, go ahead and lock in that good rate and, and move on and, and and get those savings and like you said, look for ways that you can add to your long-term investment plan with the money that you're saving on uh, on gas and, and mortgage payments. Anything else we haven't touched that you feel like we need to discuss? Uh, just to put it in the context of this downturn in relation to other downturns that, that we've experienced. So it hasn't been that long ago, um, the latter part of 2018, when it felt this bad or even worse for investors because uh, there were fears about uh, uh, recession. There were, the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates. President Trump wanted them to lower interest rates. We were still battling with China over tariffs and import taxes and trade wars. And in that quarter, uh, the markets almost hit that magic 20% decline, which would indicate a bear market. We did actually hit that level during the day, I believe it was the day right before Christmas and uh, December 24th, but then it kind of bounced back a little bit. So we didn't technically hit a bear market, but it was close enough. And investors, you know, it was a difficult period from October to uh, towards the latter part of December, but the last week in December was really good. And then you know, the, the year of 2019 was really strong. So investors who panicked and got out at the end of 2018 missed a really good bounce back year in 2019. And if you look back at, you know, there's been other examples in 2016, the year started off to the downside. We had uh, recession fears, plummeting oil prices, not dissimilar to what we're experiencing today. And that lasted about two months. And, and it was about an 11 to 12% decline. And then those patient investors were rewarded with a pretty good 2016 and 2017. So I think the theme um, is prevalent throughout any of the market downturns. Even the worst one back in 2008 and 2009, it took a little longer to recover. But those people who got out at the worst time and never got back in didn't have a chance to recover. Whereas those who were patient and stayed the course, eventually made back all those losses and then made um, substantial profits over the last decade. I, I would imagine that when you're talking with investors about anything, whether it's a 401k plan, whether it's um, just regular investing, um, you set out a plan and that plan takes into account issues like this that may come up, right? And, and you're probably already thinking about that. You've already somewhat discussed it, maybe not specifically, but when something happens, let's keep that end goal in mind and then make sure that we're always focused on that and not that short-term issue or concern or, or heartache that comes out. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes people don't realize that on a given day, the market is just as likely to be down as it is up. So I think 53% of the time uh, of one-day periods, the stock market rises and 47% of the time it declines. And then as you get uh, as you go out, and, and take a longer term approach, a one month type of approach, then over 60 or 65% of the time, uh, the months are positive. And then one year, close to 75% of the one year periods are positive. 
And then as you go to five years and 10 years, it's 80 to 90% of the time. So it is important to not get caught up in the, especially in a time like this, where on a bad day, you know, you look at your account, account balance and there's, there's nothing positive that can come out of seeing that you've had a, you know, a fairly substantial decline. But unless you're taking all your money out at that point, why does that really matter? Uh, because we know there are going to be these these bounce back days. We saw it uh, in early March, uh, just last week. Uh, the best point day in the history of the Dow was, I think it was March 3rd, the Monday following the bad week. And then it looks like we're having another good day uh, today, which is March 10th. So it's just um, being out of the market on those days that you get that really strong bounce back and no one can predict it before it happens, that's where you, uh, over long-term periods, achieve that equity-like return for your portfolio. It's really good, really good conversation, really good stuff. Uh, thank you very much for, for being here and being with us. And that's a wrap. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on your streaming platform. To check out more episodes, subscribe to our podcast series, or make a suggestion for other topics to cover visit us at warrenaverett.com forward slash the wrap.